can save the day. Welcome to Mighty House. This is a radio show for people with problems. Home improvement problems, that is. And for people who want common sense guidance on how to build green and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Send an email or call into the show. The Mighty House crew is on the job. This is Mighty House. Hi, and welcome to Mighty House. I obviously am neither Ron, nor Rich, nor Robbie. Uh, I am guest hosting today, Lisa Albrecht from Albright Solar, uh, and we are going to be talking solar today. Uh, you can certainly join us live on Facebook, YouTube Live, and Periscope Live right now, uh, brought to you in part by Mr. Floor, and wherever you are watching, uh, you can click the like button and subscribe so that you will be notified when they are on the air. Uh, you can podcast all the shows available at MightyHouse.net, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and uh, SoundCloud, and Home Improvement USA.com. You can find all the links to past episodes and sign up for the newsletter again at MightyHouse.com. All right, now that we've got that out of the way. Uh, so welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Lisa Albrecht. Uh, I uh, own my own solar company here in the Chicagoland area called Albright Solar. Uh, we're going to do a dive into solar today. Um, I've been actually fascinated by solar since I was in the seventh grade and my first science fair projects were solar. I've been on Mighty House and the Mike Novak show before, so some of you may be familiar with me. Um, but today, unlike other episodes, uh, I have visuals. Uh, so hopefully that will help make some sense as we kind of dive into some things. Um, in addition to being um, having my own company, I'm also on the board of directors for the Illinois Solar Energy Association. Uh, it's an organization here in Illinois since 1975 promoting solar in the state. Uh, and we're really excited because this year um, we uh, uh, have seen a tremendous amount of growth in the solar industry. Then uh, that means not only more rooftop solars, both commercial and residential, but also more jobs in the market as well. So super excited to be part of the Illinois Solar Energy Association. So diving right in, uh, we're going to cover a couple of things. Um, I always like to start with solar myths. There's a lot of misinformation about solar. Uh, we'll dive into the history of Illinois. Um, I hear from a lot of people, if it's so great, how come it's not bigger here? So we'll try to tackle that a little bit, and then we'll go straight into Solar 101, understanding how the technology works, as well as looking into what an individual can do at their home if they want to go solar. So first, there's a lot of misinformation. I spend a lot of time not only talking to homeowners, but also builders, investors, uh, architects, um, just about a lot of the misinformation that's in there. And it's not necessarily, you know, that people don't have correct information, it's just that the industry is changing so rapidly, a lot of the information is dated really, really quickly. So just to dive in, for example, one of the biggest things that we hear, particularly here in the Midwest, uh, is that we we have snow. We don't get enough sun. Don't you know that we have blizzards and things like that? This chart, um, and I apologize, it looks like the colors are not quite working out here, um, but the chart is actually uh, designed to show you the amount of sunshine uh, that we get in any particular region. Um, this, it actually, I'm not quite sure why, our skill is not working on the screen, but um, down you can see, obviously, we all think of, there we go, perfect, magic. 
Um, thanks, Dennis. Uh, so you can see there's a scale at the bottom and you know the Chicagoland area isn't that far off when you look at the color scale to say Miami or Atlanta, Georgia. Obviously in the, uh, in the Southwest, that's some of the best sun that we have available um, you know, here in the country, but Chicago does a pretty good job. One of the things that's great about Chicago and solar is that all electronics work better when they're cold, whether it's your computer, a network server, or solar panels. And so because we have those cooler temperatures, um, solar panels do a tremendous job. One of the things I always love to point out, though, is that for decades, Germany actually led the world in solar adoption. Uh, and you can see here that Germany is particularly dark blue and purple, very similar to Alaska, which you can see here um, on, you know, on the left. Those two places have very similar sunshine. And yet again, Germany was doing, uh, until recently, more solar adoption than any other country in the world. So if the pragmatic German mind um, that is you know, so scientifically and logically based, if they think that solar is a strong resource, then you can certainly see from the scale here that the Chicagoland area is doing great. Lisa, is that um, where latitude comes into play? It is. Yep. So um, it all has to do with um, how the availability of sunshine in any particular region. So yes, we have snow in the winter, but that's also when our electricity use goes down as well. So a lot of time here in, in, in the Midwest in particular, um, you'll see a complete tracking where our energy bills go down in the winter. And that's when we're losing a little bit of availability from the sun as well. So you know, solar is going to do a great job here. Plus, we've got nice Midwestern storms. Um, that wash the panels and those nice Midwestern breezes will actually keep the panels cooler during the middle of the day. Um, the second myth is that solar is too expensive and I definitely hear this one all the time. Um, but solar has come down rapidly in the last few years. The, the um, yellow line indicates where pricing has gone. Um, and coincidentally, I joined the industry around 2007. Solar was installing for somewhere around $13 a watt. Currently, it's installing for somewhere around three. Um, the, what's really exciting is that I actually sat down last weekend to do a comparison. So what that means is that roughly a $20,000, $24,000 system in today's dollars would have been $110 to $115 in 2007 when I joined the industry. So when we talk about dramatic price changes, it really is a dramatic drop in price. Um, and, and it's one of the few technologies that has that. Uh, you know, if we look at fossil fuel extraction, the more that we do, the more dangerous and expensive it becomes. The exact opposite is true with renewables. The more that we invest, the more that we do research, the better the panel, the better the performance, the easier the availability and the cheaper the installation costs. So when we talk about prolific uh, uh, expansion of solar across the globe, that has been one of the key drivers because we're not just looking at the price 
of you know the technology what we're really looking at is what is the price of a kilowatt hour what is the price of that power that's coming in off of the electric wires to your home uh, this chart also shows just how much growth we have seen um, you know in recent years uh, 2017-18 had a little bit of a dip um, but uh, 2019 and I apologize these are Q3 2019 the numbers aren't quite out for uh, Q4 2019 so that we could compare the whole year but you can see that just up until the third quarter we were close behind 2018 so it's really exciting to see how much growth has been happening um, not just in the United States but also worldwide uh, the next thing is that it's too expensive you know I already kind of mentioned earlier that you know a, a, a system in 2007 when I first joined the industry would have been around hundred thousand dollars for an average home that stained system now is somewhere around 20 uh, you know, so we're really seeing tremendous improvements in terms of the price of the technology, as well as the installation cost. Uh, you know, we have a lot more availability of tools, you know, and just like with supply and demand, you know, the, the more that we build and grow, the cheaper that prices become. So that's been fantastic. We also have two really great incentives on the state level, and we'll dive into this a little bit later. But on the state level, uh, we have what's called a renewable energy credit which essentially is the clean attribute. Uh, uh, and so a renewable energy credit is just a way of measuring that and, and monetizing that, which like I said, we'll get into that in just a bit. In addition, the federal government um, recognizes that investing in solar is really important for national security. It's really important for job creation. It's been a huge driver in making sure that we have a variety of technologies available, bringing power to individuals and homes. And so here uh, in 2020, that we've got a 26% tax credit off of the total installations of a system. Um, uh, and in 2021, that will drop down to 22%. So we've just got a couple of years left where we have federal tax incentives. So uh, it's really important if you're going to do this to you know, look at doing making this investment in the near term. Another thing that I hear is that solar is really hard. Uh, I already own my house. I'm not building a new house. Sure, you can do solar if it's new construction, but what about my house? I've, you know, my house was built in 1910. You know, we can actually retrofit really easy to any house. Um, there's actually two technologies. We won't go too much into solar hot water, but for solar electric systems, you know, the electricity that you're making on your roof gets wired down into um, your home. Solar panels make uh, DC power and we'll get a little bit into the technology, but all I do is plug that right into the house. Anything that is calling for a load, whether it's your washer and dryer or whether it's a light or your computer, um, that will actually come from your electric panel. Um, the solar is energizing your panel just the way that the utility does. Um, on the back end, if you're making more energy than you're consuming, um, it will actually reverse back out onto the grid uh, and um, system owners are able to participate in what's called net metering, which we'll get into that too. So it's really simple and it, pretty much any house can be retrofitted. Occasionally we might need to upgrade an electric panel, uh, things like that, which isn't bad anyway, because it means that the home is just extra safe. Um, you know, so the technology can easily be put into new construction or existing homes. Uh, one of the things, too, that we hear is that, you know, there's just not enough sunshine. We can't possibly do all of 
all that we need. But in reality, there's enough sunshine in one hour to power everything that mankind needs in a year. So if we were to think about sunshine, not in the terms of just light, which is fun and happy, and it makes us all you know, want to get outside and play, if we thought of that instead as dollars landing on your roof, you could actually think of solar as a part-time job that you don't need to go to. You're turning part of your home into a money generator. Uh, you know. And so if just one hour of sunshine can do everything that mankind needs in a year, um, you know, what is a year's worth of sunshine on your roof? Uh, this also just kind of gets into how limited sunshine, uh, you know, when people talk about we have limited availability. Um, the circle on the bottom right-hand corner represents um, the amount of electricity that the United States uses compared to the circles that represent different technologies. So the largest is what's called utility scale. That's where you see um, you know, fields and fields full of solar panels. Uh, and then all the way down to rooftop solar, which is the smallest. So if we were to add any of these combinations of renewable resources, whether it's onshore wind, offshore wind, rooftop solar, or utility scale solar, you can see that solar has definitely got the amount of capacity that will, equal, that will easily meet uh, not only U.S. demand, but global demand as well. So that's a little bit about the myths. Uh, again, it's too shady, it's too expensive, we can't do it fast enough, and it's way too hard. Um, so none of those are actually true. The technology is really, really easily adaptable. Um, particularly, you know, here in 2020, it's incredible the amount of change that I've seen uh, in the 13 years that I've been in the industry. The panels are twice as efficient, they're 80% less the cost, uh, the installation process is so much easier, municipalities understand how to work with the systems. Um, you know, kind of everything is, is just much, much easier than it was, uh, you know, even just 10 years ago. Um, so then the next question that I always seem to get is, well, if it's so great, how come it's not everywhere? Well, it's not everywhere because we have to have good, strong policy and also because it was too expensive before. So just to kind of give you a rough idea, um, starting in 1999, the state started running what was called a Renewable Energy Resources Program. That program provided um, grants and rebates. Uh, grants were for commercial projects, and we were doing roughly about 13 projects a year, give or take. Uh, rebates were for homeowners, and in the beginning of the program, it was adequate funding to be able to meet the demand because demand was low. Uh, the program funding was very substantial. And so, um, you know, over the years, it became more and more difficult. Um, what we were finding in the last couple of years of the program was that interest was so high that homeowners needed to enter a lottery to determine whether or not they were going to get funding. That lottery would be announced in October. Uh, homeowners would sign their agreements with installers in November, and then projects needed to be installed before the state budget by May 31st. So it was a nightmare. It meant that here in Illinois, in snow country, we were installing solar in the worst time of the year, and it was very difficult. It didn't indicate to businesses that the state was serious about the technology. So we didn't see many of the big players come. Uh, and it was really holding us back and holding back growth. And of course, business always wants to have some confidence uh, that they have a tomorrow, that they have a next month and that they have a next year. Um, you know, so 
uh, it took us about seven years. We started working on legislation. I um, uh, started within Illinois Solar, a policy committee. Unfortunately, that committee grew and we've got incredibly talented people on it. But we passed what we'll just call the Future Energy Jobs Act. Uh, and that uh, passed in uh, December of 2017. And then it launched in January of 2019. Um, so it's been really tremendous. Um, you know, one of the things that I do hear from people is they worry a lot about, you know, um, the, the amount of money that goes towards renewables. And I just want to pop back up. If you look at the, uh, the second line item um, on the chart that talks about, you know, the state spent about $65 million dollars. Uh, from 1999 to 2017 on this program, that resulted in almost $400,000 worth of projects. So that meant that people were employed. That meant that people were saving on their electric bill. Uh, that meant that people were paying, you know, that, that those people who were working in their markets, um, you know, were able to pay their local taxes, to pay their state taxes. You know, there were a lot of positives in that program. So the system, um, you know, time and time and time over pays for itself. And the same is true with the new program uh, from the Future Energy Jobs Act, which is called um, the Adjustable Block Program. Uh, so to just, I'm going to go really quick on policy. So we passed the Future Energy Jobs Act. When we wrote the legislation, we had enough information about all the things we had done wrong in 1999. And we knew that we don't always know what we don't know. So we knew we wanted to have small solar. So that's solar that's going on residential projects. We also know that we wanted, and that's where the jobs coincidentally are. Most of the jobs are going to be on rooftops because that's where, you know, if we can, we typically would have a two to four man crew installing systems and you're going to go house by house. So uh, that's where you can have, you know, a lot of deployment, uh, you know, of skilled workers uh, out in the market. The other thing that we knew we wanted was large solar. Uh, you know, whether you're looking at moving the needle in terms of solar uh, uh, in general or if you're motivated by savings or maybe your motivation might be environmental, we knew that we wanted to have big solar. So we decided that 25% of the program needed to be dedicated to that. Looking at other states, we also learned that uh, of a new thing that's coming into the market, and that's called community solar. So not everybody has the opportunity to put solar on their home, whether you're a renter. Uh, maybe you live in a community that has old trees. Uh, maybe your roof is just not facing the right direction. You know, there's a number of reasons, you know, if you've got a bunch of dormers on your house, you know, solar is not going to be a great fit because I'm playing a live game of Tetris where I have a very large rectangle and I'm trying to put it on a bunch of small triangles. You know, so solar is not a perfect fit for a lot of people for a variety of different reasons. But coming into the market is something called community solar. Community solar will be acres of, uh, of solar panels somewhere else um, in Illinois uh, for people whose uh, electricity supplier is ComEd. Uh, it will be physically located in ComEd's territory for individuals who say are in Mid-America or Ameren downstate, uh, the solar, the community solar project will be located there. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we, that that was also a big part of the pie. And then we knew that we didn't know everything. Um, part of what didn't happen or didn't work in 1999 is we couldn't forecast the future. And so we put 25% of, boy, we don't know, we need to have some wiggle room and some adjustment. So it was really a really difficult bill. People worked really, really hard on it. And we're really proud that it passed in, again, 19, or 2017. And then uh, it was implemented last year in January. Um, 
so essentially, like I mentioned, it goes into three things. You can see residential solar, commercial solar, as well as community solar, which is really important to have a blend of products in the marketplace. What that does is it brings lots of competition in. That makes sure that people are getting solar at a really good price. It also makes sure that we have a lot of available answers, and it makes sure that we're bringing more business into the state, which is, of course, is going to be an economic win for everyone. The program launched in January 2019, and we've already sold out of three of the categories. Uh, The community solar and the large distributed solar, so like say for example on top of a Target or an Ikea, uh, those sold out very, very quickly. Uh, And so we took that 25% of we don't know what to do with this funding, and we put it towards those two categories. We still have funding um, for the small solar, which is systems under, say, uh, uh, about 35, 40 panels or so, depending on the size of the module. So um, we still have funding in those categories, and now we're working on new legislation to make sure that we can continue a robust market. Um, we've had about 7,000 wind and solar projects in the state just in this year. I don't think that we cumulatively had that many before. What's really exciting is we've seen that it's not just in one region, but you know, solar. Illinois is a huge state and we're seeing it in every single district. Um, and it's not something that's bipartisan or that, that is partisan. It's something that, you know, uh, fits the needs regardless of political ideology. So it's really exciting to see just how much solar has expanded. We do have some legislation um, that we're working in Springfield to pass. Of course, Springfield is a little distracted at the moment. Uh, and so we'll see where this goes, but we do have a bill called Path to 100 um, that should bring again, millions and millions of dollars worth of investment coming through the state. So just to dive in, let's go a little bit more into the technology. As I mentioned, there's solar thermal. Um, that is where you are creating heat and hot water. Um, and for a long time, that was just about all that was developed here in Illinois, um, probably from 1977 until about 2015 or so. That was the dominant Uh, technology. Um, But really, uh, since 2013, I would say, or so, we started really seeing photovoltaics, or what's also called PV, uh, the solar electric uh, panels, really taking hold in the state. And that's really continued as pricing has continued to fall. The basics on how the technology works the sun shines, it goes onto uh, a photovoltaic panel or PV panel. Um, the panel is treated with two with materials on either side. Um, as soon as it sees sunlight, it excites the electrons. There's a bunch of microwires within the panel. Uh, those pick up those electrons. And then, so now we're creating current that comes down. I mentioned before that Panels create power in DC current, but here in the United States, we need AC current. So we have to go through a small device, uh, which is called an inverter. Sometimes that inverter is located near the electric panel. Sometimes uh, people are, we can install what's called a micro inverter, which is right underneath the panel. And then sometimes it's a hybrid of the two, um, depending on the technology that an installer might be working on. Once we've converted that power into AC current, we plug it right into the electric panel like any other breaker. Um, Your electric panel is kind of the traffic cop. It doesn't care whether uh, something is on or off. It doesn't care if the power came in from the utility or if it came down from the solar panels. Um, So it energizes any load that might be on. If there's more energy than you're using, um, it will actually 
feed right back automatically through your meter and to the utility. Uh, here in Illinois, uh, we have smart meters. Um, I believe that's been rolled out to the entire state. Uh, and so usually a smart meter will have two channels. One is measuring the power that's coming from the grid, and that's what you'll see on your electric bill. And then the other is measuring power that's going to the grid. That's how you get net metering. So you're actually build on the difference between those two values. If you're not making enough power, and this is the beauty of having a grid-tied system, particularly in the winter, if you're not making enough power, energy is going to come in from, from the utility just like it did before. Um, so it's very, very seamless. There's nothing that anyone needs to do. You don't need to turn it on. Uh, it has online monitoring, which is fantastic because we've just installed a silent device on your roof. So how do you know if it's working or not? Um, you know, so the technology is really resilient and very robust. Uh, panels are hail resistant. Um, of course, just like the windshield on your car, something hits in just the right spot. But most of the time, you know, solar panels are going to be able to withstand, um, you know, good Midwestern winter. Uh, here's just, you know, again, how the panels work. We've got a positive surface, a negative surface, and a bunch of microwires that pull things together. You take the cell, you add a bunch of cells together, that creates a module, a bunch of modules creates a panel, and then several panels create an array. Um, what's really exciting about solar technology is that um, the, the standard uh, warranty is actually for 25 years. So I think a lot of people worry about resiliency and they worry about longevity, um, but these panels, they're sitting in the sun. There's no moving part. Typically, like all electronics, it will degrade a little bit. The standard degradation for the industry right now is about 0.5%. You're going to see variances between some of the better modules might be at 0.25 or 0.26% um, year over year. And so by the end of 25 years, you're still typically around 80% efficiency. I don't know about you, but my toaster doesn't last more than two years and I don't make a lot of toast. Um, so it's just a really good, resilient, uh, robust technology that you can put up on your roof and not have to worry about. Uh, I already mentioned the inverter. That's the device that changes the power from DC current to AC current. Typically, you might see anywhere from a 12 to a 25-year warranty, depending on the technology that you're selecting. So it's really good to have things that are going to be durable and going to last a long time so that you're not adding to the maintenance list of your home. This is just a quick example of what a string inverter looks like. Um, they could be installed either inside the house, near an electric panel, or frequently they are installed outside. That's actually been um, with uh, uh, the spread of the coronavirus, that has actually been an advantage to have your system installed outside so that you don't need to have a crew coming into your home. So solar is actually a, a really um, easily adaptable technology for today's working conditions uh, where someone should be able to install an array. They should be able, you know, if, if someone's interested in solar, you could certainly call me. I'm able to do a survey remotely um, using your phone. We can do a call. I can look at your basement, at your equipment, uh, and then we can look at, you know, what some of the details of the installation uh, and potentially um, install your equipment outside. Uh, this is I'm just going to skip that. It just kind of shows the differences in how you would wire a system. I mentioned already that inverters typically have monitoring systems. This is just a snapshot to show you just some of the level of detail. Uh, the larger graph on the left is showing you how the system is performing on a daily basis. 
you can see here the amount of energy that is coming off of the array on an hour by hour. You can see there was a little bit of a dip. That probably was a cloud that went by, um, very brief. And then you can see, you know, as the sun starts to set, uh, that the power output from the array starts to go down. Um, the upper right, that is showing you day over day production. So you can see here, we probably had a few days with very similar weather conditions. Uh, and then the chart down at the bottom is showing you um, annual production month by month. Um, this was a system that's been installed for about nine months. So you can see, um, you know, early data. And then as it moved into the next year, um, as that um, you know, as we as that system ages and continues to have more data, we'll actually see year over year comparisons. So whether you've got a string inverter, whether you've got micro inverters, uh, there's a tremendous amount of detail that's available to the homeowner. Uh, these systems are also pretty automated where you can set up alerts if something is not functioning properly. And then you could work with your um, uh, you know, with, you could work with your installer to um, uh, to uh, uh, service that and, and find out what's happening. Very rarely does systems do systems have a problem, but you know it's a mechanical or it's an electronic system in your home, um, and so some from time to time you might need something. Uh, during the installation process, uh, there are a few points of contact. So the most important, and I think probably the piece that that worries homeowners the most, is their roof. Uh, the first thing that I always suggest is we want to install on a good roof, a roof that's no less than really five years old or no more than five years old. We want to make sure that it's a healthy system because if you do need to re-roof, the solar panels are going to need to come off. Uh, I really like this flashing. Um, I use this flashing because it's pretty headache free. Uh, you can see it's a, it's a piece of metal. It's roughly about eight and a half by 11. It slides right underneath the shingles. And then uh, we actually screw through to the bones of your roof. So I want to be in the rafters or in the trusses. I don't want to be in the decking. I want to make sure that when the wind blows, it's not trying to to turn your solar into a kite. So I want to make sure that I'm, you know, that I'm down on the roof really nice and tight. Um, it, it flows right in the same direction as the shingle. And so water is not going to get through that penetration. Um, it's a little difficult to see, but there is a lip on that as well. So it's a raised surface. So water is going to bead and flow around that. Um, and then it actually has a self-sealing grommet that allows me to attach the the rail systems as well. On the right-hand side, you can see the rails. Typically, they're perpendicular uh, to the ridge. In this image, the ridge is on the bottom left. It's very hard to take a good picture on a pitched roof. Uh, the gutter is to the right. You can see a chimney in there. So typically, a panel or rails are going to run in that direction, and then the modules will attach. Usually, there's two rails per module. Uh, and so if you've got you know four rows, you're going to have eight eight sets of rails. Um, in this image, you can see too, there's a small silver disc. In this case, it is an optimizer, but that is also kind of what a micro inverter might look like on the roof. And this is that same array installed. Uh, so you can see, you know, the framing of the panels, it's nice and tight. Uh, we want to make sure that everything is square and level. Uh, uh, carpenters will appreciate that. We don't want your panels when you're looking at them from the ground to undulate. You know, we want to make sure that it's a nice, tight, uh, form fitting and really looks good uh, to uh, to folks walking by. If we're on a flat roof, there's a number of different ways. Sometimes we would attach uh, a system. So in this case, I'm using a post uh, with a um, with a uh, uh, pit, pit, pitch. 
I can't say it, a pitch pan in order to seal that penetration. Uh, sometimes a roofer might uh, uh, use roofing material uh, to, to seal that penetration. There's a number of different tech techniques. Uh, in this case, uh, once I've got the, a, a short post in the front and a taller post in the back so that I can get about a five to 10 degree angle, uh, I then put in those same rails and put the panels on top of that. So that's a common solution on a flat roof, but a lot of homeowners don't necessarily want to have those penetrations. So instead we can do what's called a ballasted system in a which I'm using weight in order to hold the panel down. And the amount of weight would be engineered specifically for your home and for your location. So for example, here in the Chicagoland area, if my house was really close to Lake Michigan, for example, I'm going to have higher winds. And I, in this neighborhood in particular, there weren't many buildings that were taller than the structure. So I had to put quite a bit of weight. You can see that the weight on the outside is greater than the weights on the inside. That's because everything is connected together kind of like an erector set so if the wind is picking up one panel it's picking up all the panels uh, you know so we're using the array to also ballast itself in this case this was a pen this had no penetrations at all sometimes i might need to do a hybrid where I am putting down some ballast and some penetrations. This is a different racking system um, that actually attaches to that flat roof uh, I have a small curb that curb allows me to attach directly to the roof uh, using a variety of different flashing methods. And then from there, I put the rails and the modules on. So there's a lot of different varieties in how somebody might install some panels. Uh, this is just a quick picture um, my, uh, from Solar Service, my former employer, uh, just showing the difference between solar hot water, solar electricity, and a variety of different uh, 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 installations. Uh, you can see I've got a couple of flat roofs here, uh, a garage awning, uh, and then um, a, a very large system in the upper right-hand corner that shows both photovoltaics as well as solar hot water, um, you know, for a pretty large home. So those are the basics of how the technology works. Again, it's pretty seamless. Once it's installed, there's very little for the homeowner to do. Uh, the, uh, what I typically find is that Usually for about the first couple of months, um, homeowners are looking at the monitoring system, which you can see on your phone. So if you're on vacation halfway around the world and you want to know how your solar is doing, you can just pop open an app, look on your phone, and you can see exactly what's going on. So it's pretty fun. Uh, and then, you know, everybody wants to see what their savings are on their electric bill. So if you are interested in going solar, there's lots of reasons why. Um, I joke all the time that a lot of times people call me because they are concerned about the environment. They're worried about climate change. Uh, uh, maybe they're, wor they're maybe they're worried about you know they have fears around national security, uh, about government spending, all kinds of you know all kinds of different things. Um, so regardless of why someone picked up the phone, what I typically find is that they make the decision to go solar when they see the economics. So it may, there may be lots of motivation and economics may be the motivator, um, but at the end of the day, typically what has people decide to go solar is when they just look at the numbers and they realize that it's kind of a no brainer. So let's go into some of the steps that somebody would take. Uh, so this is, we'll go through each of these, but you need to do your homework, select a contractor, schedule a site visit. Um, 
Um, that's changing in today's uh, COVID world. Um, you know, so site visits may not be necessarily, uh, uh, they may be virtual uh, or they could be, you know, at, at your home, depending on, you know, the location of some of your different things. Looking at the financing options, um, getting approvals, for example, it, you need to always pull a building permit, um, but getting the materials shipped and then finalizing some of your incentives. So let's start. So the first thing that people need to do is look at your roof. Uh, I get a lot of phone calls and people are like, hey, I want to go solar. Can you come to my house and take a look? That's really not the first step. The first step that you want to do before wasting your time or having a contractor, uh, you know, come out is pull up your house on satellite. If you've never done that, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, Google has a really easy tool called Google Project Sunroof. Uh, and if you pull that, if you just type in Google Project Sunroof, it'll pull up an application and you put in your home address and then there'll be a pinpoint and it will show you again on a very similar uh, uh, scale that shows uh, the availability of sunshine, the brighter yellow, the more uh, the better fit your house is for solar. In this case, you can see the home that I've selected is it's, you know, it, it's not a perfect fit for solar, but they are getting some good sunshine. Um, there are neighbors to the west of them, north being up, uh, west being left. Uh, you know, you can see that their houses are a little bit better. And then some of the homes down in the southern corner of this picture, their homes aren't quite as good. So it's just good to see. If, if you look at satellite and you can't see your house, the sun can't either. Uh, so if you've got a lot of trees, uh, uh, this week alone, I probably looked at five houses. I could not see the roof at all on satellite. So again, if, if you can't see it from satellite, neither can the sun and you're probably not a good fit, in which case going to, um, you know, going to a community solar project might be a better idea. Um, other things that you want to look for are, are drains. You know, there's a lot of bathroom vents. A lot of people have never looked at their roof. Uh, I encourage people to step outside, look from the ground. What, what, what bathroom stacks are there? Uh, where's your satellite dish located? Do you have chimneys? Um, you know, are there exhaust fans? You know, all of those types of things are important just to get a good sense of how much space is there. If you've got dormers, like I mentioned, again, we're playing a big game of Tetris, trying to get those panels up to your roof to make sure that they'll fit. So just looking at your roof is a great place to get a good idea. There's other tools out there beyond Google Sunroof. Um, Zillow now has a, a, a something called a sun number uh, where you can uh, look at uh, the possibility of a house. That's a useful tool, particularly if you're in the market to buy a new home and you'd like to make sure that your new house is good for solar. Um, uh, sorry, I just saw a cat in the background. Um, Cameo, uh, but uh, you know, so it's good to kind of be able to look at at that option. ComEd has some calculators too. And a lot of these calculators are pretty generic. They're not necessarily looking at your usable space. What they're looking at is how much sun is is getting on your roof. What's the what's the approximate square footage of your roof, and about how many panels do they think you know that you're going to be able to get up there. The next thing that I always suggest people do is look at your electric bill. Most people have never looked at their electric bill. Don't worry, you are not alone if that includes you. On the left-hand side of the first page, you will see a 13-month chart. That chart shows you exactly what your kilowatt hour usage is month over month. So you can see kind of where you're trending. In this case, you can see um, 
you know, they are peaking more in the June, July uh, timeframe, um, you know, in the summer where we would expect them to. This is a pretty low user. Um, uh, and actually their trend is backwards. Oh, you know what? I put this on a purpose. Uh, this home actually is using more in the winter than they are in the summer, which is an unusual trend. They are in all likelihood running a space heater. Um, you know, so looking at your electric bill and understanding what your monthly usage is, adding that up and getting a good idea of your totals. Now, roughly speaking, um, uh, just because we all need to have a budget, on average, most families are going to see solar installing somewhere between fifteen to twenty-four thousand dollars before incentives. Um, there is going to be some permitting. Typically, that is included um, in at least I include it for sure in the cost of the solar. Um, again, we want to look at you know what is the condition of your roof. If your roof's not in great shape, then that's something that's going to need to be done first. Um, solar that that twenty-six percent federal tax credit does apply for the area that you are re-roofing that has solar on it. Not the whole roof, but at least just that portion that includes the solar. Do you need an electric panel upgrade? You know, some people may only have a 100 or I've even seen 60 amp panels that probably were installed in the 40s. Probably a good idea to upgrade that panel anyway and get your service upgraded. So there's a few other things that might be some surprises. It's pretty rare though. Most homes that we find, um, you know, can be adapted into solar. The second thing is choosing a contractor. Of course, I think everyone should go with me. Um, uh, but I do encourage people to get quotes. You need to make sure that you're working with someone you can trust. You need to work with someone who you understand. You know, we don't all communicate in the same way. So making sure that you find someone who doesn't talk past you, who answers your questions, things like that. Uh, you can certainly go out to the Illinois Solar Energy Association. It's IllinoisSolar.org. Uh, there there's a list of my competitors out there. Um, if you are watching this, because I know not all Mighty House uh, uh, viewers are in the Chicago area, uh, your state probably has a very similar uh, organization that promotes uh, solar uh, companies uh, locally. So looking for that local resource. Um, if you are seeing solar panels in your community, ask your neighbors. Who installed your system? Did they do a good job? Um, uh, get some references. It's no different than whether you're doing a plumbing project, whether you are refinishing a basement, you know, the same steps that you go through then, um, you know, make sure that you get references, all those same types of things so that you can make sure that you are making the right decision. Um, and then the most important thing is really getting, you know, making sure that it's someone that you're gonna want to work with. Cause this project is gonna take probably two to six months and you probably are going to have a relationship with this individual for several years. So I've actually become good friends with a lot of my customers. I feel really lucky that I have a lot of incredible people uh, that I've gotten to work with. So again, I hope you work with me, but I do encourage people to get multiple quotes. Uh, and then you do want to do that site uh, evaluation. And this will actually help you choose that contractor. So as you're talking to people, you're going to want to make sure that they're looking at all of these things. If they don't ask you about the age of your roof, that should be a big flag. Uh, you, they should always ask you about the age of the roof because you don't want to get all the way down into the details of the project and then find at the end of the day that you've got thousands of dollars more to spend. Um, so looking at that issue, um, where is the conduit going to go? Um, where is the electronic equipment, for example, the inverter uh, or uh, the communication devices, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, you want to make sure that they're taking into account 
account uh, site conditions. For example, is there a tree to your south that is taller than your building? That will be a problem. If there is a home that is taller than your, home, than, than your roof, that is going to be a problem. So you really want to make sure that they are digging in and getting the details. Um, during, the, um, during the quotation process, I always give my customers a shade study. Uh, this is an, an example of one of those. Uh, you can see here, I was, I was uncertain about the house to the south, so I went ahead and drew it because I wanted to see the impact of the neighbor on this array. You can see when you look at the gutter line, it really wasn't a problem. There's a few numbers here that I want to point out. In the middle on the far right is what's called annual TSRF. That is the total solar resource fraction. And what that does is that tells you it's a combination of how much shade is on the roof, uh, your tilt and orientation. So it's really looking at the full picture of the array. If I'm just looking at some of the other numbers, you can see that they look better. Um, but I really want to look at what's kind of the worst condition. Um, at the bottom, you can see that it's telling me how much shade I'm, I actually have on that roof month over month. Um, you know, but I really want to see what that uh, you know, what the solar is so that I can understand um, how that's going to be in my uh, investment. Uh, next, there are several uh, pricing options. Um, for us, is direct ownership, and that is all that my company, Albright Solar, does. Um, I really believe strongly in the value of, of ownership. Just like owning your house versus renting your house, you're going to have the best economic value. Um, but that's not always available to everyone. So my cousin and a very good friend and former roommate both have um, what's called a third-party ownership or a, a PPA, a power purchase agreement. Um, they don't own the solar. They weren't able to take advantage of the tax credit or of the state incentive. But what they're doing is essentially renting their roof to another company who then sells them the electricity back. If you don't have a lot of cash on hand, but you want to go solar, that's a great option. It's not uh, it's not something that I do, but there certainly are companies out there. I really work with homeowners um, uh, on direct ownership, um, primarily because I think that's where the best bang for their buck uh, and their investment dollars are. Uh, the next step is, you know, applying for all those approvals. So you've selected your contractor, you've signed a contract with them. Uh, my contract is very detailed. Uh, you want to make sure the contracts that, you know, what are your out clauses? Uh, you know, I'm compliant with uh, the state guidelines. Um, you know, so you want to make sure that you understand all the details around canceling if you needed to do that. What are the payment terms? All those types of things should be spelled out and broken down in your in the contract. Um, once you're signed and ready to go, uh, the first step is getting that permit. Um, so they typically, what I do is I come back out with another company um, and I run a, a drone over the building. And I also do at that point need to get into the attic uh, unless you've got drawings for the house to be able to see exactly how the building was built. I want to make sure that structurally the house is fine. We're only adding to a pitched roof about three pounds per square foot. So it typically is not an issue, but I really do need to know how the building was constructed. The second thing is that we need to get permission from the utility. Here in the ComEd region, um, ComEd has an internet connection uh, approval process. I handle all of that for customers. And my goal really is to make it as seamless as possible uh, that a customer's involvement is really just going to be signing things. Uh, whether it's permit applications or whatever it might be. So, um, uh, you know, and then also with utility getting you signed up for billing through net metering. 
and then once all that happens in that process, depending on the municipality, that process can take anywhere from four to eight weeks. I have had uh, some in 2019 take longer just because the market here exploded tremendously and a lot of building departments were overwhelmed. But I think everyone is pretty caught up and they've streamlined a lot of their processes. Uh, the installation part is actually the easiest. Uh, that might take a day. Uh, I installed a project last Friday with 26 panels. Uh, we were we started in the morning and we were done by five o'clock that night. So it's a long day, uh, depending on how big the system is. But, um, you know, we got everything done in one day and we were gone. If your roof is more complicated, it might take a few more days than that. Weather is also a big consideration. So a windy day, it's going to take them a long time to safely maneuver those panels around on the roof. Um, once that's done, the municipality comes, checks our work. Uh, we've got great relationships with the municipalities uh, in this area. Um, and that has been a bit of a challenge because of COVID. Um, I have, you know, depending on what their uh, uh, inspection policies are uh, in making sure that they are socially distant as well. So once you've got that, then you also need to go back to ComEd, tell them that the it's been inspected, and then ComEd will give you permission to turn it on. And at that point, it's the fun part um, where you're able to see your savings. Uh, the best part of turning on solar is turning on your app and looking at how much energy your system is producing on a regular basis. So, uh, and then once everything is done, now you're going to finalize your all of the financials. So they had been estimated earlier. Now you're going to actually send in a receipt to your accountant to make sure that you take that tax credit. Um, so we're in 2020. So when next year in 2021, when you go to apply for your taxes, you're going to want to have that invoice that includes all the costs that were associated with your installation. Uh, and then here in the state of Illinois, once your system is energized, you will have applied earlier to be accepted into the program. But once everything is done, you need to let folks know um, that you are available. So I wanted to dive in a little bit on, you know, what that state incentive is. So um, the state of Illinois requires that our utilities invest in clean energy. It's called a renewable energy credit. Uh, we have what's called a renewable portfolio standard that says that 25% of all energy in Illinois should come from clean resources. We're nowhere near that goal. Um, it is a goal. We, we were hoping to hit that by 2025. It's unlikely that we, well, we're definitely not going to hit that goal, um, but we're creating stepping stones and every year we're doing more and more. Um, so we're hoping to get to, we're hoping that actually we'll play some catch up and we'll get to 30% by 2030. Um, but we do have some, some uh, stumbling blocks with some of the funding currently. The renewable energy credit, it is not the utility is buying your power. You are making your power and using your power. What they are buying is the clean attribute. Uh, so you kind of need to think about almost like the bragging rights of your solar. So they're creating the fact that this clean energy allowed the utility to invest less in buying dirty energy. So they're buying the clean attribute of that. So if a homeowner is investing in solar, they're actually going to be able to sell that attribute uh, for every 1,000 kilowatt hours of power produced, that is one renewable energy credit. And the state, the current pricing, there's a table, but for residential systems right now, it's $70 per renewable energy credit. It's a 15-year contract. So uh, it's based on the output of your array. So not based on the size of your array, but based on the output. So how many kilowatt hours? So for example, 
if I have a five kilowatt system, but it, and it's perfect tilt orientation, south facing, it's a 30 degree tilt. There isn't a single piece of shade anywhere nearby. That system might produce around, uh, around, do the math, uh, around 6,500 to 7,000 kilowatt hours. I think I'm doing the math poorly. Um, that same system, if there's a lot of shade, so that would be seven renewable energy credits. Uh, if you're at 7,000 kilowatt hours, for example, that would be seven renewable energy credits times 15 years times the value. That's what your renewable energy credit is going to, your contract is going to be worth. Um, if you're, if that same system is installed, but there is some tree coverage or there is a building or perhaps you're not due south, you might be um, slightly east of south, for example, that system is going to produce a little bit less power. Um, so it's really based on the power output of that array. Um, there are some fees associated with it uh, and uh, I would walk um, folks through. Um, I'm big on showing my math. Uh, I don't know if it was my Catholic geography or geometry teacher, um, but I'm big on showing my math so that people can see exactly how I did some calculations. Um, diving into net metering, again, we talked about uh, this is the excess power. So you might be making energy, using it on site, and some of it is leaving your house and going out. Uh, the utility tracks that and credits you back. So this is just an example of an electric bill from a homeowner that has net metering. They have a new line item. So you'll see it says kilowatt hours from grid and kilowatt hours to grid. And if you carry that across, you can see that in this instance, they bought 420 kilowatt hours from the utility, and then they sent back another 600 kilowatt hours um, uh, of, of energy. Um, and so you, so their net bill is the difference between those two charges. Um, you can see here, uh, this is where you'll actually see, because they made more power than they needed, there's a rollover. So the energy, very similar to like how a cell phone rollover works, the energy that you're not using in this month rolls to the next month. And for ComEd customers, at least, you can roll that power from month to month. You just cannot roll that from year to year. So we want to make sure that we're sizing your system based on your annual historic usage, and we can't go more than 110%. Um, just about done. This just kind of dives a little bit deeper into some actual pricing. So this is something that I priced about five months ago or so. Um, and you can see I've got total system cost. In this instance, I was comparing the difference between a standard 300 watt panel, which I'm now installing in 310s, uh, and a more premium 330 watt panel. So you can see there's a difference in total system price. Um, one of the things that's exciting on this chart, if you go almost down to the bottom of the chart where it says estimated 25 year output, what this means, um, and we talked about how panels uh, will degrade a little bit over time. So I can't take the first year of energy production times 25. What I need to do is degrade that, that energy year over year. And so in the instance of the first column, I'm making about 11,800 kilowatt hours. In 25 years, that's going to accumulate to 200 and almost 68,000 kilowatt hours over time. If I divide that by the net price after incentives, that means that my system is making power for three and a half cents per kilowatt. Um, the utility 
is charging between 10 and 11 cents currently and will have uh, an inflation over time. So you have a fixed cost of energy that is typically about a third of what the utility charges you today. So if you remember, I said that people typically will look at buying solar because the environment, but they commonly will decide to go solar because they're making power for that much less than what they're being charged immediately. Uh, community solar, again, if, if solar is not good for you, community solar, it's not quite here yet. We should start seeing some marketing um, about people to go in these systems. Uh, and you can go to illinoisolar.org uh, uh, to get more information about community solar. Um, but that kind of covers it. Uh, again, I'd love if you're interested in looking to go solar, you can reach out to me. Uh, my email is lisa at allbright.solar. I'm not a .com or a .org, I'm a .solar. So it's lisa at allbright.solar. My website is allbright.solar. Uh, or you can give me a call at 773-887-6446. Uh, and we'll walk through these steps. Uh, if you send me your address and a copy of an electric bill, uh, I can jumpstart the process and give you a really good idea of, of what's gonna fit up on the roof. And then we can talk tech and we can talk details. So. Hopefully that answers folks' questions. Uh, went a little bit longer than I was thinking, but um, hopefully um, my Mighty House friends, uh, you uh, uh, it was helpful to have a few visuals so you can kind of see what we're talking about. So once again, this is the Mighty House show. Uh, on behalf of Ron, Rich, and Robbie, thank you for joining us. Uh, of course, you can join uh, them on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Periscope Live. Uh, and this was brought to you in part by Mr. Floor. Uh, and wherever you're watching, please click the like button and subscribe so that you'll be able to find Mighty House anytime they hit the air. Podcasts of the shows are available on MightyHouse.net, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and HomeImprovementUSA.com. You can find links to all of those shows and sign up for the newsletter again at MightyHouse.net. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. <laughs>